0: turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. We'll continue in our series through James, specifically James chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11, focusing on verses 9 through 11. We're going slowly through this first chapter because in the first chapter James sets out all the themes he will deal with later in the book. So we're going to take our time in chapter 1 and understand all that is going on, not only for the church, but what James would have them learn. Before we read God's word from James, let's ask for his blessing. Dear Father, Lord, our Master, our Savior, and even as your word proclaims, our friend, We see that you have come to us and given us a familiarity with you, that we can address you with these appropriate yet very close terms of father, of friend, of brother. We see that truth, and yet that familiarity does not take away the honor and respect that we pay to you as we see you are as well the Lord of all. You are God of all the universe, creator of all things. And we see in, our, in the word we have before us that you have written it down for your people. As we read your word, may we receive it as such. The word of God infallibly, and errantly preserved and kept to us. That we would respond in humility and obedience. And indeed that we would reflect on the beauty we see here in your word reflecting your very character. Your very beauty. We long that this would be instilled in us, that we would more reflect it and help us to see that here, even now, this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." We will read verses 9 through 11 again, and pay attention here to the unexpected response that James gives. These unexpected words, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Boasting. What we boast about has a lot to tell of our character, has a lot to tell about us. What we boast in are these things that we hold most dear. What we boast about are the things that we closely identify to who we are, or at least to who we want to be. Depending on your boast, it shows something about your, your competitiveness. It shows something about what you think is important. For example, the more competitive you are, the, the more you boast in winning and being victorious over others, the harder you will find it to be critiqued in that endeavor. The harder you will find it to lose, and you will lose control and respond in anger and frustration because who you want to be, the, the boast you want to be a winner is taken away or questioned. You think you're good at a particular thing, and you like being good at that thing, and that's what you want to boast in, your knowledge or your abilities, and then that's questioned again. You will respond likely with frustration and being upset as we so tie our very identity into our boast. We wish to boast. We place that desire deep within us, This is what we hold dear, and this is how I succeed at it, and this is why I'm better. And that's why we like to do it, our boasting in sinful ways. And yet here we see a call from James to do something we most often associate with sin, to boast. But to boast in one thing. In fact, to make this boast the boast that covers and consumes all other boasts. That we would have no other boasts. That the things of the world that we might want to identify with, riches and poverty, these things that are so closely connected to who we are, but what are we to boast in in them? That's the beauty of God's Word. You see, what James says here is very unexpected, but exactly what we need to hear. Exactly what we need to hear. You could place yourself in one of two camps, and that's what James does here, He places them in the camps of the lowly and of the rich, the two extremes of that spectrum of a societal standing. As we know, being poor means more than just not having money. It means that you are lower on a social scale, and certainly in James' day. To be poor and lowly was to be of no account. And to be rich was to be respected and be given places of honor. And as that functions in the church, what are they to do? As he addresses the congregation, how does that standing come in? These things that everyone identifies with. You see, the worldly wisdom of the lowly, and I say worldly wisdom, not God's wisdom. The worldly wisdom would say, get out of this position. You're being put down by others. You need to rise up. You need to band together with the lowly and overthrow the rich. You need to use the government to pull you out of this position. You need to do something to get out of this because you're being abused. And, and James doesn't deny that. And he won't later when he talks about how the rich were indeed abusing the poor. But that's not what he says to, for them to do. And so the beauty here is that he doesn't tell the poor man, You're right. You're right to feel this way. Your right to boast in something else, your right to seek and overthrow. He doesn't go anywhere with that. What does he say? He says, boast in something else. Specifically, he tells the lowly, boast in their exaltation, and that's the surprise. You're one of these poor lowly brothers in in James' congregation, or the ones he addresses this to. You're, You're the one of no account. You're never given the places of honor. No one really cares what you talk about or say. No one's really looking to you for any type of leadership. Your opinion doesn't matter. That's what's what's associated with this. You're the one who's not given the highest seats. Any party or festival or dinner or anything that you would attend, you'd be expected to sit in the back. You'd be expected to stand. You'd be expected to give up any higher position to someone else. That's your position, and James... and you hear, oh, he's writing to the church, he's writing about the lowly, and you think, here, now the brother of Jesus is going to correct this. And he does, but what does he say? You, lowly, who really in the worldly sense have no boast, actually boast in your exaltation. But the poor and lowly shouldn't have an exaltation. They don't have an exalted standing. And James says, boast in your exalted standing. We see where he's getting at. We see the truth. The boast that they have is not in the society. It's not in their wealth. It's not in their political standing or prestige. It's not in the respect anyone else would pay them. as they likely don't have that. It's in their standing in Christ. The exaltation of their position, being united to the Son of God, awaiting glory, awaiting profound blessing to this, James says, this is your boast. This is all you need, and you see, this is the answer to even the downtrodden of society, and I want to be clear there. We don't use this text, and I am not saying this, to support putting down social classes, or promoting poverty. That's not what James is doing. James is rather addressing the members of the congregation where they're at. And what he says to do isn't to seek to change their social standing, though not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, as God's Word will say, for a slave to, do, to seek freedom. In fact, he should. It's not a bad thing to work hard and save and even accumulate wealth. That's not what James is speaking against, but he's talking to those, the lowly and saying, you don't need those to boast. You have a boast already. This is who he addresses first, the lowly. He will address the rich, but focuses first on the lowly, the lowly who are said to boast there. These are James' commands, verses 9 and 10. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. That isn't what we expect. It's not what we would even want to hear. It's alien to us, and that's why we need God's word. And we need it today when no one thinks this way. We're steeped in a culture that says when you're abused, someone else needs to pay for it. When you're abused, someone else, something needs to be done to rectify it. And again, there's truth to the fact that if, when injustice is done, it should be rectified. There's truth to that. That's not where James brings his listeners, though. It isn't that they would grasp on to something else other than their very identity in Christ Himself, in their exaltation. You can't look at boasting and exaltation without being brought to the gospel. What else could James mean? The exaltation He refers to is the gospel message, it's Christ Himself. And that's the challenge. It's a challenge because it means the lowly can't look to their standing. They can't look to change it by stealing or complaining, bettering themselves, arranging a revolt, amassing political backing. That's not what to do. In fact, our sad story doesn't give us the right to forget the gospel. Our sad story doesn't give us the right to forget the gospel. And this isn't James coming down and beating the congregation. It's James coming up and pulling them up and saying, you're mired in these things. Be brought beyond that to your exalted position because you are exalted. How can sons of God be anything but exalted? They can't. How can sons of God united to Christ take their identity or their standing in anything other than their exaltation and who they are in him? But this means, then, we have a lot to apply to our life, because that's true. And it's difficult, because it's not the way we want to go. What does it mean? It means it applies not only to our wealth. Political standing it applies to our standing at school. It applies to our standing at home. Maybe you're not the favorite child. Maybe you were raised and you were clearly not the favorite Maybe you aren't the most popular. Maybe everyone else asks for life updates about everyone else other than you. Maybe you're the one in the family who no one ever asks, how's it going? No one ever asks about your life or your friends don't care. Maybe that is you. Maybe you're not the most attractive. Maybe you're not the strongest or the most talented or the smartest and the most intellectual Maybe it seems like everything you try to do in this world does not succeed and is in fact a failure. Maybe you feel like a failure. Well, what does James say? He says, why are you trying to boast in what ultimately doesn't matter? Because none of those things ultimately matter. All those things I mentioned bring with it sin and injustice. Bring with it the marks of a a cursed world that shouldn't be. But none of it ultimately matters for how you should view yourself. And this is the answer. This is even the answer to such hot-button topics like bullying and things like that. Is that right? Of course not. But what do we tell our children when they are bullied for something? What do we tell ourselves when we are bullied for something? And the answer is what James says here. Why are you looking to boast in their criteria? You're exalted. You're a son of God Himself, who is to inherit. And as James says in this epistle, you're heirs of all things, your first fruits of the new heavens and the new earth. That doesn't matter see where our identity and our strength come? It isn't in our appearance. It's not in our minds. It's not in our strength. It's not in our jobs. It's not in our wealth or houses or cars or vacations or anything like that. But we have one boast that can't be taken away, and that is Christ. That's what matters. That's what we're to value here. And so when parents might say, and treat their children the way they should not. There are, unfortunately, favored children in families. That's not the way it should be. But even were parents supposed to do this, or even though parents might do this, you don't look for your identity there and in their opinions. You look for it in your father's opinion and what he thinks of you, your father in heaven, and friends and co-workers and bosses and the popular kid or the teacher. What they value, what they boast about is not yours. Even though it's what we want to boast in. I read an article, it was kind of sad but interesting, about the amount of um, uh, skin cancer for those who go to tanning salons. And it's been shown that the use, of, especially among teenage girls, has risen of tanning salons and how they keep doing this. And when the results were presented to them, that tanning can so destroy their skin, will result in early aging, and can result in cancer, the response of many of them was, well, I want to look good now because that's what the guys desire. The, those who are tanned are the guys who they look to, and they praise these women's tans. And why am I talking about this? Because you see the boast. You see where we want to boast. It's in attractiveness. It's being desired in that way. And so what will happen is you might even destroy your body in the process just so you can achieve that. But as James is saying, that's not the boast. Tan skin is what he would say. Really? Attractiveness that fades? And as we're going to get to wealth that passes like a flower, do we boast in these things that just wither and die? And I do speak to the children here because the, the influence of peers is so great. Their opinions matters so much to us. And we want to shape ourselves according to what they think. But that's not your boast. That's not your worth. Your worth is in Christ. Your worth in, is in what God thinks of you. And imagine that. That God loves you so much to save you and to make you his own child, give you all things, to give you such glory that it can't even be dimmed for all eternity because who you are in Christ. Now, that, that's something to boast, that's something to identify with. I mean, after all, what standing did Jesus have before men? Let's look at his life. He was the lowliest of the low, born in a stable, son of a carpenter. He amassed the following, and we would think, "Wow, well, hey, is it his his life's changing, right?" Well, he amassed the following of fishermen, tax collectors, poor, and prostitutes. And at the end of his life, when it really mattered, who would stick with him? Well, none of them did. They fled him and turned his back, so that he died forsaken, alone. And left the world literally as he came in it. Well, I shouldn't say literally in a worse way. Born in a barn, dead on a cross, a sin cursed death. What a lowly man. Purposely so. Yet, what was Christ's boast? How did Christ go through it? And it wasn't because of the societal standing, which he had none of. And it wasn't his wealth, where it said the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. It wasn't any of those things. It was the gospel that he himself was achieving. It was the boast to know that through this he would save his people, that he would bring to himself his bride, that he would receive the name Lord that is above every name, that every knee would bow to him. You see, where he placed his boast wasn't in the things of the world. It was in the exaltation that he would undergo through accomplishing the gospel itself. And we're called to do exactly the same because that exaltation is ours. It's the very same. As he was exalted, so are we. He is our head, but as we are connected to him of his his body, we receive that exaltation the glory. So you're not called to be bitter. In fact, this is a hard pill for us to swallow. Even in your abuses, and in having been abused. You're not called to be bitter. You're actually called to boast. To boast in something better. You're standing in Christ. That's James' words to the lowly, the boast of the lowly. And then we see him turn in the second half of our passage to the boast of the rich. And so after telling the lowly to boast in their exaltation, James says this, and look at your text He says, the rich in his humiliation. Now we have to supply some words there. As the text said, it begins, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich, we can supply the word boast, because that's what James is saying. So what he's saying is, the rich boast in his humiliation. And just like it was unexpected to tell a poor man who didn't have anything to boast in to boast, it's unexpected to tell a rich man who receives all of the glory and the standing and the worldly pleasures and the exaltation of the world, it's unexpected to tell such a one to boast in what? Humiliation. Well, what's he meaning there? There are two ways to go. There are two possible explanations, and it depends on who James is talking to, and both have very strong arguments. So the first possibility in the interpretive decision is that he's talking to unbelievers who are rich. So he addressed a believer who is poor and is now addressing unbelieving rich who are putting his congregation down. That's, that's one possibility. That's what he could be saying, and later in the book, James will come down hard on the rich who are clearly unbelieving rich, and his words could be taken here then, if he's talking to unbelievers, he's being sarcastic. If he's talking to unbelievers, he's saying, Let you rich folk boast in your humiliation because all of your rich is fading away. You're withering away, and on the judgment day, you have nothing to stand. You'll be humiliated. And that's one way James could be going if he's talking to unbelieving rich here. It's a judgment, it's a condemnation. The other way we could go is he's actually addressing rich believers rich members of the congregation. And why would we say that? Well, just as we applied the word boast because of James' address, you see that again, let the lowly brother, and when he says let the lowly brother boast in their exaltation, He's talking about believers. A brother is another term for a believer, especially early on in the church. You would call your fellow Christians brothers and sisters. And so he's talking to a believing brother of the lowly. And so the argument would go for this interpretation. He's saying, let the rich brother boast in his humiliation. If he's talking to a rich brother, well, then he clearly would not be telling them to boast in judgment. So, what would he be meaning if he's addressing them there? Well, a rich brother to boast in humiliation here would be the idea to boast in something the world deems lowly. So, if he's addressing that as a lowly, rich, as a rich brother, he's saying, boast in what is your humiliation. What's the humiliation? It is the gospel. It's a humiliation in the sense that that is what makes one lowly in the world. That was what made one despised in the world. And these rich brothers would not receive exaltation in the worldly standing by holding to such a religion of persecution, poor people, and the outcasts. And for these rich brothers to then identify with them would be humiliating, a humiliation. And so then James would be saying to them, no, your boast is the very same thing. Your boast is the gospel in Christ, even what the world might deem as humiliating. There are many different ways to go with that. It's important to see that whatever whatever way we take it, and there are, again, strong options for both, whether he's condemning the unbelieving or talking to the rich, whatever way he's going with that, we see the point. And the point is that his condemnations of riches that don't matter as well. You see that in his illustration of that flower that withers is scorched and brought to nothing. And so whether he's talking to the unbelievers or to believers, they're not supposed to boast in their riches that pass away. And that's either a condemnation on the rich who don't believe, or it's a wise word to the rich who do and say, in riches there is no, no joy, no value, no exaltation. In fact, the only exaltation is in Christ. So it's either way we go, that is James' answer. Whether to the unbelievers or to the believers, riches do not stand. Riches pass away. And so the danger to the poor and lowly would be despair and envy and covetousness, but the danger to the wealthy is pride and arrogance and blindness and thoughtlessness. And so James is correcting that there. Don't boast in the things that don't matter. This will come up later in the book, The Tension Between Riches and Poverty. Jesus, in his own teaching, was clear that wealth presents a very real danger to the wealthy. He says it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's not a mark against riches. It's not a mark against wealth per se. It's against that spirit of greed that often brings wealth. It's against the use of wealth. It's against the standing that wealth brings. Often, It is the lowly who are brought into the kingdom, the downtrodden who receive the gospel message, and it is the rich who don't need it in their thinking and turn away, deeming themselves already exalted. But because the sun will rise on all the riches and they will pass away, it's a danger for the wealthy, even if it be a wealthy Christian, to hold dear to what is meaningless, as meaningless as that flower that perishes. Just as quickly it withers and is thrown away. This is the thought that James has been going through. Remember, he has told us to rejoice in trials, the very trials that his congregation was enduring. And then he tells those who are going through these trials, if you lack wisdom, ask for it and it will be granted to you. And then he shifts here, not fully casting off those prior themes, but showing us that even here, Counting trials as joy, asking for wisdom, is manifest in this very situation by counting your trials, your poorness, your lowliness as an exaltation in Christ. Being able to see that through the wisdom of God's Word and applying that wisdom even to where they're at. The double-minded person is one who would... Stand between the the wealthy and the poor and not know where he would like to go. That's to be double minded. Rather, the Christian is to see that they are raised up. The beauty of the gospel is seen in this passage. The beauty of the gospel is seen in the church. What is James telling his congregation? That they would behave in such a way that the gospel is all that matters. That even in the church, the wealthy and the poor come together, and the standing doesn't matter. That all come before Christ as equal in that way. All are equally loved by God and receive that. A great illustration of this, and we're going to close with this illustration, is from Sinclair Ferguson. This is a true story he witnessed in his own church. He tells a story he had come up to preach one Sunday morning and was sitting in the front as he observed the congregation. And as he observed, he looked out over his flock and he saw one of the dear members, a lowly elderly woman, enter in. This woman had a very rough go of things in her life. She didn't have much to her name. She didn't have any standing. She's a perfect example of James's lowly brother. She didn't have anything. The only space open in the church was in the pew next to a very successful man and his wife. This man had achieved much in the world, had much wealth, had even been knighted by the queen, had a name and recognition, had that standing and wealth. And this lowly woman came and sat right next to this rich man, and much to the surprise and shock but not displeasure of that couple, she gave that man a big old kiss on the cheek and sat herself right down next to him. And Ferguson says that as he sat there, he just thought to himself, I I love the church. And that's what we have. We don't have any knights here, not that I'm aware of, no sirs. But we have all those who go across all standings, all positions, all difficulties. And in the church we come together not as those who are separate, we come together as a family. We come together as one, as those with one boast. One thing that matters. One thing that's able to make a lowly brother, a lowly sister who'd be outcast of the world to come and kiss the one who's the highest of the world and in friendship and love. What's that one thing? What's that one boast? It's Christ. That's the only thing that can tear down those boundaries. That's the only thing that fixes our own pride and the boasting that we want to make and the things we want to hold dear and grasp on to no, it's our standing in Him. That's what matters. We have only one boast, our identity in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you, being in awe, being in awe of this text, being in awe that though we could be poor and beaten down and without any boast in the worldly sense, we have one that transcends anything the world can boast in. We may be in fact wealthy in the world's standings, but we see we forsake all wealth and will give it up gladly for it will pass away in utter meaninglessness in our boasts is in Christ. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for that great truth. We praise you for the knowledge and understanding that in you we are secure. In you we are safe. In you the opinions and judgments of others, even the vindictive and mean, the harsh and the cruel, they don't ultimately reflect who we are. This will take great strength, and so we pray, as James tells us, to to ask for wisdom to do this. To ask for your wisdom to apply this word to our own life, that we would, as the lowly boast, that we would, as the rich boast in Christ and Him alone. This does transcend anything in our capacities. Grant it, we pray, for you are able to work what you command, and we pray this as your humble people who. Need And in fact, strongly desire this, that your name would be praised, that your son would be preeminent. That's why we live, and may we not lose that focus. We pray this in his name.